Hello and welcome. I'm Jillian Raymond, the co-creator of Juicy Bits and a Coalition Snow ambassador. And I'm Jen Gorecki, your co-host and the CEO of Coalition Snow. For those of you who are with us in season two, we are glad you're back. For those of you who are new, get ready to laugh, cry, and maybe pee your pants a little. Juicy Bits is about taking the conversations that we start on the chairlift and at the trailhead and bringing them to you to explore alternative narratives that challenge the status quo about what it means to be a modern woman in the outdoors. Grab your helmet because sometimes it's a bumpy ride. FYI, friends, this podcast is for mature audiences, so you've been warned. Let's get to work and juice the patriarchy. Welcome, everyone. It is Jillian and Jen, and we are so thankful you're with us. And we're also so thankful for the newest additions to our Patreon community, our Patreon family. So we want to give a shout out to Megan Green, Katie Foyt, and Lisa Ann Harper. They've recently contributed on our Patreon site. And if you're not sure what Patreon is, it's a platform for creators like Jen and I where we're able to gather support, um, both energetic and financial support that allows us to bring you Juicy Bits. So head over to patreon.com backslash Juicy Bits and check it out. And we'll continue to thank our supporters here on the air. Okay. So Jillian, we have some really serious things to discuss Mm -hmm. on this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, Tonight is the eve of the impeachment trial of Donald Trump. So we are recording the day before the impeachment trial is going to start for the president of the United States. And uh, prior to us jumping on this call to record, I was watching a little Rachel Maddow to get updated on what's happening with the trial. And I was feeling really sick to my stomach in terms of how the entire trial is going to essentially not have any witnesses or evidence or testimony. And um, it's just a really, it just feels like we're living in this really insane time of history. Um, Yes, I couldn't agree more. I think for me, part of what I'm I'm looking forward to the, the progression of the trials is to actually bring this human down off the pedestal that they've put themselves on, which includes being above the law, includes, um, you know, just oppressive and insulting behavior and language and a perpetuation of military domination around the globe for all terrible reasons. And I think with the impeachment, there's a piece that we can look at where throughout history, it's only happened, what now, this will be the third time, and Mm -hmm. have a sitting president removed. I think the work that the people that are putting in to make this happen is like where part of the integrity and the faith can come back into like a representative democracy. And even though it takes a while, which can be really frustrating because I know there's been people on people working on his impeachment since the day he was inaugurated is like not giving up on that. And then like being able to be on the right side of history. 
And so on the eve of the trials beginning, um, what makes me hopeful is that we will not hopefully have to see him running as a candidate in 2020 and and looking for re-election and also see that that persistence and that unwilling wavering to give up on like integrity in your government is still like somehow maintained. And I can't always look at it. It makes me actually physically sick. And sometimes it's like, it just ruins my day. So you're a better person than me, Jen. It's pretty awful. Yeah. It's, It's pretty awful. Um, see, I, I'm I'm not feeling hope, hopeful. I do not believe that Trump will be impeached. Uh, the what the Republicans, what Mitch McConnell is laying out for this trial, make it really clear that they're not interested in presenting any evidence or having what we would consider to be a fair and Im- impartial trial. And so, I don't think he'll be impeached. He's going to remain in office. But what you and I are actually here to talk about today is not about the impeachment of Donald Trump, but to actually look ahead to the next election. And that's where I believe we're going to see the change. So I I do believe that we have the ability to elect a new president. And I think that this country is going to be so fired up when Trump is not impeached. I might personally be one of those people who's out in the street just knocking shit over and burning shit down. So I know I've said this before, but I really feel that strongly. So if I, if you get a weird, if a weird phone number is calling you, uh, pick it up because it might be, I I need to get bailed out is pretty much what's going to have to happen there. So I would definitely just memorize a couple of phone numbers because I feel like when you get that one, it's not like they're going to give you your phone and let you be like, oh, let me look up like the info contact, you know? And that's real. I only so remember, I don't know any phone numbers. I only remember my childhood phone number because my mom taught it to me in a song. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a safety issue. 8837. Like, I, that's the only phone number I know. And that will not help me because that number does not exist no, anymore. Nope. <laughs> so. That's your homework, Ricky. <laughs> Memorizing I'm these memorize. numbers of people who don't screen and like regularly pick up their phone. I don't know. And who have enough money to bail me out. So yeah. that's <laughs> going to be the criteria. Now, like I said, I'm super fired up, but I, so I've really been focusing on this next election. And so I've obviously been watching the debates and last week, during the debate, we only had four candidates on the stage. So it's a shame that the candidate pool is 100% white at this point now that Cory Booker has withdrawn um, running for the president. But there are two women. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a, a very interesting question posed uh, to Elizabeth Warren and th- this question keeps coming up, which is, are women electable? And and what she said, which was like, like mic drop, the mm-hmm. only people on this stage who have won every single election that they've been in are the women, Amy and me. And for her to point out that fact really unravels this entire narrative that women aren't electable. Because she and, and Amy are the only two who've been elected every single time that they've that they've run. 
and there's been there's been research done, uh, which has uh, been published in the New York Times, that statistically, women win at the same rates as men, but we don't think that they're electable. And so that's what I, that's what I want to talk about today is like, why is it that women continue to face this burden? Like, we don't say, are white men electable? Mm-hmm. Are men who abuse women electable? Are racists electable? Like, how is it that we actually live in a fucking country where we don't know if a woman is electable, but we have no problem? Like, oh, yeah, a man who rapes women, racist, white dudes. Oh, yeah, they're... Mm-hmm. We would never question that. So, uh, I just—it's it, this—it's this thing that keeps coming up. Are women electable? And I'm at the point where, like, why are we even still fucking talking about this? Well, I think part of what contributes to this, and I—I I had to actually look this up to 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 talk myself down the proverbial ledge, is this like conventional wisdom and this, which to me <laughs> is basically just like fucking idiots, where they're like, oh, they believe it because they you know, their neighbors think it or because they hear it all around. And it's like people's Mm -hmm. unwillingness to just move into this next um, century or into the modern world or to like, I don't know, address their values or just like lead with something other than the status quo. And I think what contributes so often into politics is people not feeling like they have a place in it or they're like smart enough for it or that they like it's something you it's, you know passe to talk about with your family or friends or at the workplace because it's not okay to disagree or have opinions or be controversial and I think when we lose that we lose people's engagement and we lose kind of that like civic involvement and then the people that are involved um, they become the loudest and they'll do it sometimes for all the wrong reasons or for the maintaining of that status quo and I think that's something that you know the framers of a constitution, whatever, being all white males with property, with money, with education, you know, they were looking at maintaining their power and their wealth. And they were looking at maintaining things that did not include women, did not include people of color, did not include anyone that they did not deem to be like fit to make decisions to lead a nation. And so much of it was about protecting property and protecting the economy, which there's nothing in the constitution really about the economy, but it protects the participants and the interests. And so I think that has been maintained for so long over time and people that walk and talk in circles that you and I spend time in, it would, it would, it would boggle our mind that someone would question this. But then I think we have to remember that there are unfortunately thousands and thousands of people that live in like a different paradigm. Like, I don't know where they live or where they function. Like to read something for me. And I think I put this in the the note I dropped to you to, to hear a woman quoted saying that she'd love to see a woman president in her lifetime. And granted, she's in like her late sixties. So good for her to like, think she's going to make it through a bunch of other elections. Um, that, but not right now. And so if there's this idea of like, well, maybe it'd be nice, but we're just not ready for it. I'm like, what does that mean? And what does that stand for? And we look at like, the role of gender in your ability to be a leader and to mitigate and to engage in foreign policy and to stand up like Elizabeth Warren did and defend your track record in terms of being elected by your constituents to be able to meet their needs and to like move forward as a politician and not be slandered and not have to worry about doing things that like alter your values and alter the values of the people you're representing. And so to me, it it really comes down to a bit of like ingrained status quo um, bullshit. I don't know if that's like the right word there, but a little bit of that. Um, 
hegemony. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's another way. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, and with this next, you're, it's my pleasure that, you know, I have tens of thousands of debt, the dollars of debt for that PhD I never got. So I mm-hmm. should at least be able to pull out a word every now and then, mm-hmm. since, you know, to just, yeah, yeah great. Also, why I'm happy to put my support behind Elizabeth Warren, because I would love to have my student loan debt relieved. I digress. What, um, you know, this next election, the the stakes are incredibly high. And, you know, you you quoted this woman who, um, and we won't say her name because we don't want to make the internet hate her maybe more than they already do, but she was quoted in in the New York times. Like you said, I want to see a woman president in my lifetime, just not now there's, there is this uh, pervasive belief that a woman cannot beat Trump. And that's likely why Joe Biden still even has a seat at the table because we believe that only that archetype of human being is electable in this this country and that is is likely what what is fueling the the bernie bros which the bernie bro the, i'm going to digress again the bernie bros are some of the most misogynistic group um stephen Col- colbert because this also came up in the debate of whether or not um bernie sanders said that a woman wasn't electable mm-hmm. and he he made the statement and said, no, I, I've never said that. And I do think that a woman is. But then if you go and look at all the comments of the Bernie supporters, they're incredibly misogynistic. And Stephen Colbert brought this up on his show, which I thought was fantastic. But, you know, so so there is this belief that only a person like Joe Biden can be elected. And then you have people who are fighting against that and saying, we deserve something better. We want more progressive economic reform, which is where a lot of the support goes behind Bernie Sanders. But then even in that conversation about not Joe, we're not even focusing on these two women who have incredible expertise and experience in politics. And for me personally, when I look at Elizabeth Warren, it's clear as day to me that she's, she's the person to run for the president of the United States. But in, in this New York Times article, which is called The Word Female Presidential Candidates Have Been Hearing Over and Over, they, they say that people support, the, the majority of people support a woman as a president, but they don't think that their neighbors do. And that to me was really fascinating where it's almost like they'd be afraid to go out and vote for a woman or stand up and say, I'm going to vote, vote, vote for her. Um, Even particularly after all the backlash that Hillary Clinton received. But why is it that people support women, but they don't think that their neighbors do? I think that's a, that's like a big, a big question that needs to be answered. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm thinking about my my neighborhood right now and I was like imagining, you know, having this conversation with half a dozen people and if that were to come up and I'm like, well, those are our neighbors too and is that your like how what that means when someone says that is that like an excuse? Is it kind of like the scapegoat or like I'm I'm not sure, so I don't want to risk it because you know, I think for 
a candidate like Hillary Clinton with her her political track record, if you looked at her minus her gender, there were things about her that people didn't like as a politician. But then there was also things that she had done that broke many barriers and that like she had um, voting track records that supported, you know, certain values and certain things that maybe even can be considered a little more progressive. But I think what happens here is these candidates are not just buying for their, um, in this case, the, the nomination and the Democratic ticket. It's like they have to talk about their gender. Like they have to do that. And that's like, you know, it's like, it's like extra work. It's more time spent. And I think it takes away from other parts of their message. So it doesn't really answer your question. Cause I don't know why people would think or say that. Like I kind of have to ruminate on that one, if you will. But I wonder if people, I mean, think, I kind of think that I kind of feel like it's, it's like, we just, I think it's kind of an admission that we know that we continue to live in an incredibly sexist society. Like, oh, I support a woman, but none of my neighbors do is an acknowledgement of like, oh yeah, people, people don't, people don't want a woman to be a president. And that, that's sexist. Like there, there's, gender shouldn't play a role at all. And to me, it just seems like an acknowledgement of the sexism and the misogyny that exists in this country but but then so many people actually support it like why why can't can we just get the fuck over ourselves can we just like get past the gender can we can we can we stop having our having the media ask this question are women electable and can we just can we just move forward saying like yes women are electable gay men are electable Black men are electable. Women of color are electable. Like it would just be, imagine if we just chose to believe that the, that anybody was electable or actually anybody who could raise enough money. Cause obviously there's like, that's a big part, part of it. Like the fact, haven't we learned that if Donald Trump was elected, isn't anybody fucking electable like why in the fuck do women have to face this burden mm-hmm. of of proving are they electable when the least electable human being was actually electable anyone can do it mm-hmm. anyone can do it well and they're also coming like you, they're bringing to the stage the debate stage like the, po- the the political field they're bringing expertise experience strong track records they've won elections and i mean i still sometimes think that we're going to wake up and it's going to be like the silliest tweet of life where trump is just going to admit that he's been doing this to like make his reality tv show and like it's all, the whole thing is a fucking <laughs> joke I think this like regularly because I need to just be like, is this real? And I think back to that. I mean, the stuff he said over the years is just so bananas, insane. Like, no, he's certifiably unfit to be like functioning in the public eye. Like, it's just beyond. And what's the other thing I think that makes me nuts about it is that it's so dangerous. So listening to the debates, it was really challenging to hear all the they they always do this, right? They're asked the questions and then they kind of like move it around to answer it maybe the way they want to or to make sure they can get in something that they want. And there was not nearly a talking point. Yeah. yeah, always covered with with climate change and with immigration. And I think one of the pieces around um like military occupation and our military um might that we like to like flex around the globe is I feel like that's where as a as the president is it's such a dangerous 
position because people's lives are at stake on a constant basis. And that's where, to me, he's so dangerous. And the idea of putting a candidate in that can actually like work to see solutions beyond just, you know, sending out military and then like using sanctions and the stuff that again go back to like you know who's electable and what do people see is like okay put someone like a biden and it's just going to be like business as usual in the white house and it's just i know i'm fucking done with it and i don't see how people aren't because i don't know how their lives are in any way shape or form made to be better when there's like this collective damage that's happening globally because we're all affected by it whether we can like name it or not it's completely completely affecting all of us and that's a piece to me that I'm like, where's the candidate? Again, regardless of gender or race, it's like speak to that. But then I also think you would alienate certain people that don't buy into that because they want to see. I don't know. But you're what always but here's here's what's so fascinating though. You're always going to alienate people. So why why do we continue to give power to the very things that don't serve us? So this I'm I'm going to relate this a little bit to Coalition Snow. So we're, e- even with this podcast, even with the things that we talk about or what we post on social or uh, the, the things that we, that we say as a company or that I say as the CEO, I have been, t- I, have, I know there's a lot, there's a lot. I have been told uh, by different advisors and people, aren't you afraid of who you're going to alienate? And you may not have them as as customers. Mm-hmm. And my response has always been, I'm not I'm not trying to gain the people who don't want to be on the team. Yeah. I'm here to like build these stronger alliances with mm. people who already get where we're coming from. If I if I chose to be a business leader who played it safe, then I actually would be alienating people of color, mm-hmm. trans women the LGBTQ community. I have chosen to to say and and do things that are traditionally wouldn't be acceptable for a business leader to do, but I'm I'm actually looking at like well who are the people who are being left out by playing it safe. And I think that that's the exact same thing that we're facing with this next election or even just this conversation about who's electable. So by playing it safe and say electing Joe, Joe Biden, for example, I mean, he's just the safest one up there. Right. Um, Who, who isn't happy with that? Like, why do we assume that that's what makes the majority of people happy, happy when we know that demographically in the United States, everything is is shifting that younger generations fundamentally see the world in a different way that by the year 2040 um caucasians will actually be a minority why do we keep giving power to the notion that the safe bet is a is a white man when actually it it is he yeah. is that is that the safe bet still like Maybe, maybe in 2020, but you know, we're, we're reaching a time where that demographic, like that archetype of a human being isn't representative of the people in this country, mm-hmm. not, you know, from, from the color of their skin to their education, to their, their economic status, to the way that they see the world. And 
I, I'm just ready for a time when we're going to believe that there's enough people in this country who would benefit from us stepping away from playing it safe and that that's what's going to really shift politics um, and, and shape the country in a, in a completely different way. Well, I'm saying, you know, Gorecki 2020, maybe that, maybe that's the move. Um, You're a little (laughs) late to this one, but you know, you speak to something that's actually very cool in Congress right now. So I think we're in like the 131st um, Congress and it is the most representative of our actual Mm -hmm. population based on gender and diversity and religion and inclusivity and just the voices that are there. And also, um, you know, I think of AOC as one being a uh, grassroots, you know, very um, well-spoken, but almost like the underdog candidate to be able to beat an incumbent and come to be placed in that seat to speak for people on behalf of social issues and on behalf of actual humans that saw a leader in her that was going to bring a change that wasn't just like, again, the safe bet or the business as usual or the status quo. So it's like we're seeing a bit of that happening in branches of our government where the change, I mean, it's, it's pretty necessary that that representation is there. And then you're looking at kind of, you know, the, what the head of the executive branch and you're like, okay, that's also then that highest position. And what would it look like to have that be more representative? I do, I, you know, I don't know. I'm definitely hopeful on it, but I think a piece that, that does still worry me is people's, I think people are often guided by fear. And I think fear can either get people, it's like the flight or fight, right? So some Mm -hmm. people are going to fight and campaign and be super active and, and do things that make the the trajectory forward. And then the flight is kind of like, if you're not directly impacted by it, and I kind of think of this myself as someone who lives in, in a bit of a privileged bubble at times, it's like, you have to be able to step out of that and see that like any flight that you were to take is like, you're just kind of adding to the dark side, right? You're just like contributing to the evil. If you're not like actively opposing and you're not actively anti-racist and actively anti-sexist and actively anti-oppressive. And so when we look to our candidates, the work that goes into that, if it comes from a place of fear, because sometimes I think that can drive us. It's it's hard to shake that when it is we do live in some scary times. And yes, historic times, but there's things about it that are kind of that are kind of frightening. And then where we have to move if we're if we're in the kind of the flight mode that we need to stay in the fight mode and keep that um, kind of as like our our target, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, and with this with this next election, like let me personally be very clear. Whoever gets the Democratic nomination, I will vote for that human being because I do believe that Donald Trump is the greatest threat that our country has seen uh, in, well, in my lifetime, if not in the history of of the United States. So I'm going to do everything I can to ensure that he isn't elected again. So I'll put my vote behind the human being who's running against him unless that person is like him. And then I'm going to, um, like, I'm going to defunct to another place in this world. I can't yeah. be here. But um maybe we could start a coalition office somewhere else. Um and I could be like your first intern and we can just kind of start to like move people and just kind of build the, you know, the coalition well, army in another country. We could do that. Just I mean I do I we might have I, to some notes about that. 
Yeah, there's there's a reason why I own small pieces of land outside of this country because I can just go set up a tent and live. Um, but you know, but the other thing, like I th- I think also, you know, getting back to this question, are of you know, are women electable? I believe part of it also goes into the apathy that we see in this co- in this country. We a lot of people don't vote. And people mm-hmm. don't think that that's a privilege and they don't think that it's necessary. And for myself personally, spending so much time in East Africa, in, in Kenya, um, in a place where people didn't have the right to vote until the 1960s, mm-hmm. you know, these women who I work with will stand and wait in line for hours on end to cast a vote because this is the first time, you know, that they that they have the ability to shape a government and their, their government is quite challenged and and corrupt, but they, they still see this as such a privilege. And in the United States, we, we take it for granted. And a lot of people don't go out and vote. And in the last election, many people didn't vote because Sanders didn't get the nomination. And there's an incredible amount of privilege to be the person who says, I don't need to vote because it doesn't affect me. There are so many people right now who are suffering tremendously because Trump is president. And, and to, 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 to think that your vote, that, that it only is about you, and to not think mm-hmm. of your vote as something that is part of building a better nation and part of, of community, I think we've lost our way with that. I, I think we're we're far too focused on what it what it means to us. Do, does this particular candidate speak to us? What is this candidate going to do for us? And we've lost the ability to see what candidate is going to do the best for the country as a whole. So, um, and that's where you know this idea of like are women electable. It shouldn't even matter because we should be looking at their policies and their history and the way that they voted um, and where they're getting their donor money from. And these are all the things that should help us decide, is this human being the right person to lead our entire nation, which we know is very diverse um, in, in every way possible? Well, you speak to something in terms of of voting, and I was just kind of looking at the um, Pew Research Center because I think this is really interesting. In in twenty sixteen, our like older voters, right, baby boomers and older generations, there were like forty three percent of eligible voters, but they cast forty nine percent of the ballots, mm-hmm. and so just their the showing up, right, the the apathy and the like, even if you are. Um, you know, fired up, up till, up to, up to, and then it's like you, for some reason, don't mail in your ballot or you like don't make it that day. It's like voting matters. And we're looking at like millennials and Gen Xers making up almost over 50% of eligible mm-hmm. voters in 2020. And that mm-hmm. shift, that mood, like that ability to do that is really powerful. And I think it does come down to not like, you know, cutting off your nose to spite your face. What? So you're like a super Bernie fan, but then you choose to like not support all the other pieces. Like even Bernie himself said it on the debate where he was like, you know, I will 
if, if I don't get the nomination mm-hmm. and he's like, I hope I do, but he's like, whoever on the stage gets the nomination, like I will do everything in my power to help you get elected. And that's like also comes down to, and I don't think a two party system is actually really positive. I think the greatest no. thing we could do in our country is move beyond just this two party system. And I wish we kind of would have learned that in the last election, seeing how divisive that was to just have it be like Republican democratic and like the smaller parties not having even like the money to show up and even provide like the alternative narrative. So that's like a topic for another podcast, but in looking at that and it's like, how could you not get behind maybe like the values and the, and the, you know, sort of the movement that that could create through your party. And I think that then becomes the, like, I don't have to care about it because it doesn't directly impact me. Another thing I think that's really scary. And I, I'd like to pay really careful attention to moving into 2020 is things that states and counties will do that discourage um, people Mm -hmm. from voting or that make it challenging. And all of a sudden you've got these, you know, you know, I mean, it goes back to like U.S. Jim Crow time of like, okay, Mm -hmm. now we're going to have these certain taxes and we're going to change the voter registration forms and we're changing the voter ID laws. And you're taking that right away from people who actually you know, you're just creating more barriers and it's completely done intentionally to limit people's voices and to limit people's participation. So I think there's a level of apathy. And then I also think there's a level of voter discrimination and voter barriers that are put in place specifically to keep certain people from being able to cast their votes. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, like, let us also acknowledge that today is MLK day um, and Rachel Cargill posted on her Instagram today, she posted a quote from uh, Martin Luther King Jr. where he said, I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice. And isn't like, it doesn't that sort of sum up what we're talking about today that Mm -hmm. if, why are we asking these questions if this person is electable? Like, why are we still falling into this, to this narrative of what's always been done and what's the status quo? And that, that has, to your point, certainly served people in this country, but oh, Jen, it's like a fucking uh, distraction. Like, oh, let's yeah. get people looking at their pantsuits so we can't like analyze like you know strong foreign policy. It's like a total fucking way to manage the descent of people who are looking to shake things up and move mm-hmm. and shift. And I think it's like one of the more empowering things that can happen when you actually recognize that and you're like, I will not let myself be distracted, be swayed and be really intimidated, right? It can be intimidating and then move people to either those, you know, apathetic places or those places of just, um, you know, that even a sense of overwhelm. Mm Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't know. I don't, I just... (laughs) I haven't even had a drink yet and I, I feel like I need to, but this it's going to be really, it's, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the next week. And by the time this podcast, by the time you're listening to the podcast, we will probably all know what has happened in the impeachment trial. So um, we're, th- this is going to be a little bit outdated, but you know, like, like we said at the beginning, what we really wanted to talk about today was this idea of are women electable because this is something that 
you know, as we get into Iowa and as we get into to caucus, uh, we're really going to be looking at who is the person who is going to be running against Donald Trump in the next election. And we are 100% going to remove him in office through our vote. And we're fucking coming for you to Mitch McConnell. I don't even give a fuck that I don't live in that state. I'm putting some money behind the woman who's running against him. And we're going to do some things. Mm -hmm. And we're coming after you too. So Mm -hmm. on that note, I want to thank everybody for listening in today. And if you have any thoughts about the electability of women, about the next election, about Donald Trump, J. Trump about any of these things. Uh, please, as always, we love to get messages from our listeners, and you can just shoot us an email at juicybits at coalitionsnow.com. And thanks again for tuning in. Get to work, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs>